episode of uh, Stoke Meter. I can't believe I just mispronounced that, but then welcome. <laughs> and today we have the pleasure of speaking with Sonia Gokhale. And Sonia, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It is such a pleasure to be here. It really is um, a pleasure to have you. And just to give you a background, uh, in a strange turn of events, we were introduced to Sonia through her sister-in-law, who I, who both Gary and I knew back in Arizona in the day. And uh, Sonia has a podcast called The Daisy Woman. I hope I didn't crucify that name. I hope I said it right. But it is a very, um, what, 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 what do I call it? It's a podcast that highlights a lot of stories on self-empowerment and a number of other motivational things uh, in, in light of some pretty heavy-duty guests that she has online. I'm just wondering if you wouldn't mind uh, delving into how that started and what you've been learning from it. Oh, I would love to speak about it. And again, so sincerely thankful for this invitation uh, because you guys are certainly um, change makers and news makers <laughs> in your own right on this podcast. And and I have to say, just from speaking with you, Maurice, I mean, your positivity and um, just your spirit. Wow. Huge. <laughs> so, I mean, I really hope that, um, you know, I'm going to have you guys on my podcast um, without doubt um, so that we can um, share your message with global listeners. Um, but basically this story arose out of, I've always wanted to do an outside business venture. My full-time role is in finance and corporate real estate at a fortune 50. And I think many of us um, are looking at world events, local events, perhaps asking ourselves, what can we do to make a change? Mm-hmm. Um, it feels anymore like there's so much happening and we have a variety of opinions. And yet what we watch on the news and the talking heads, um, it may or may not reflect what we think or what we believe. And so what I love about podcasting, I majored in broadcast journalism in my uh-huh. undergraduate years, and I really enjoyed it because it's such an immensely powerful platform. Um, and podcasting, wow, all I can say is how exciting for this next generation um, to be able to utilize technology to reach audiences. So when I launched this, the goal was, okay, I wanna use fallback on some of those broadcasting roots and really bring forth stories that I'm not seeing expressed in mainstream media. Those that come from perhaps my diaspora, which is my parents immigrated to this country in 1963 from India to pursue engineering and medicine respectively. And um, and there's a whole host of others. And, and look at our uh, current vice president, as a matter of fact, Kamala Davy Harris. And uh, if you look at her mother, she came here in 1958 to pursue graduate studies. And now her daughter is the vice president yeah, of this country. Yeah. So those are the types of narratives and thought leadership I really wanted to bring to the forefront. And it's just been a series of ever evolving interviews with those types of thought leaders. It is pretty amazing because when you take a look at what you just said there, there, when you look at the divisiveness in the country, there's always a common story that people that we might think are completely different and opposite end of the spectrum, that we do have commonalities. And that is a great example of that. Um, And 
I'm sure that you have seen this over and over again as we have, that when people share their stories, we do find those commonalities and we do, sometimes it changes our opinions, right? Uh, maybe not the core, but certainly it makes an impact on how we might have viewed individuals in the past. There's no question. Yes, I completely agree with that. And that's what actually I have to say selfishly, this has now evolved into an amazing hobby, which I love, but I am getting so educated on so many topics and subjects. And yeah, we can talk about some of my guests who really yes. are renowned thought leaders in their own right across politics, um, academia, you name it. And I come in as sort of this um, very enthusiastic, interested student, um, for lack of a better word. It's like a guru sitting with, you know, a student. And, and I'm very thorough in researching for these podcasts because their thought leadership really is, is a work um, of their entire lives sometimes. And so that's been such a pleasure because I get to grow and learn and, um, and really reevaluate. What do I think about some of these topics? topics. And it's been surprising to your point. Yeah. And you do bring about, you bring up the topic of change. Yes. I am wondering with all of the folks that you have interviewed, and there have been a ton of them, uh, <laughs> what were some things that stood out as an impetus for change, effective change? Yeah. So I have to say that the interview I just completed with Dr. Vishaka Desai, who is, I cannot even possibly outline all of her accomplishments, but she has I, that book, her book is World is Family, A Journey of Multi-Rooted Belonging, and it is her memoir. And I have to say that I, if it were not for this podcast, I would never have become familiar with this remarkable woman's work. And she talks about globalism. And she, among other things, she's the advisor for global affairs to the president of Columbia University, uh, broke a lot of barriers in the art world um, for South Asian art to be better represented. And more than that, um, she's very candid in her memoir about having an abortion when she was in her first marriage and um, what that was like. And here we are in 2021 with these same rights um, in peril in the state of Texas. So whatever you think about it, I mean, this happened in the 70s to her and she went through this whole thing on her own. She also talks about how she represented herself in divorce court. And there were hints of some domestic violence and alcoholism in her first partnership. And again, she shares this very boldly. And these are issues that still face the South Asian community and really cut across all socioeconomics, all ethnic lines, all, all issues of race and creed. And so that's what I really find fascinating is that timelessness, because she is willing as a renowned scholar and thought leader to share this personal story of hardship and strength and courage. And so if I can help share that with a global audience of listeners, that's change right there. That's saying, hey, you're not alone. People have gone through this before. And yeah, the issues that you see in front and center um, in politics right now, they deserve your attention one way or another. That's a great point. Yeah. Oh, I was going to say, I, first of all, I'm, I'm so excited to talk to you. You, you epitomize Stoke, if I've ever seen it. It's so <laughs> fun to, to hear you talk. But one of the things that I think 
is so exciting about podcasting, and, and you kind of touched us on a little bit, is whenever you can talk to someone face-to-face, even if it's over a remote podcast or anything like that, we, we, can, we can empathize where people are coming from. And I think it, just that, that ability to get to know someone, yeah. that's where real change starts to happen when you view them as a person, as a human being. And one of the things that I would like to ask you is, can you give us an example of someone that, that you probably normally wouldn't have agreed with or you don't share their same belief system or anything like that, that kind of had an impact on you once you talked to them in a podcast or got to know them as an individual? Yeah, that is such a spectacular question because I have to say that I, growing up in Columbus, Ohio, it's interesting. My parents are actually diehard Republicans to this day. And I can say it, um, you know, and I think it's very important to share these, um, this background information, even to this day, they really have a deep and immense respect for Donald J. Trump. And I think there's a lot of South Asians who hold that opinion or other Americans. So when I came into the podcast, there was some of those those roots where I was definitely more on the conservative side or potentially undecided independent. And as I've hosted a variety of guests, many of whom, um, you know, one of whom I'll be interviewing next week is endorsed by Bernie Sanders uh, as a progressive candidate in Columbia, in uh, California for the assembly. And I listen to what they are talking about, the issues they face. And Felicia Singh, for example, running for New York City Council. Um, there are so many South Asians in New York City, and yet not one of them has ever sat on the city council. Her dad, is a taxi cab driver. And so she gets into the medallion system in New York City, which has really caused a number of these taxi drivers to have to file for bankruptcy, Um, housing issues. So I get it that, wow, the U.S. is really not working for many um, Americans today. And that is why they hold their belief systems that they do. And so it's something we have to look at because there is no reason that um, as an educator and a school teacher, she brought up the fact that we're using 2018 metrics for um, to review educational requirements in New York City in 2021, post-pandemic. And so if not her, if not for candidates like her, who would be the voice for Americans and for constituents that are going through these issues? Um, Raja Krishnamurthy, congressman from Illinois, perfect example, came here, his parents came here from India, and they were on food stamps for um, a point in time. And yet, if they didn't have that mechanism of assistance, where would they be? They obviously got off food stamps. He's now a Princeton and Harvard graduate. So it demonstrates that, look, I mean, there is a perspective, there's a story out there that we need to hear. And so thank you for asking that question, because it's opened my eyes up inexplicably. I can't even tell you what my political affiliation is, but it's probably pretty far removed from Republican in some respects at this point. Isn't that interesting? (laughs) It just is. Well, the the nice thing about it is I think. I think when people allow themselves to look at other people's opinion, again, get to know them as a person, that type of thing, it doesn't become this, I'm Republican, you're liberal, but you know, it's like, no, 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 I'm a, this is what's important to me. And here's why. Okay. So once you understand my story, 
then it makes sense why you're just talking about that. You know I mean? The more, the more I know your story, the more it makes sense why you feel the way you do. And it's legitimate. Yeah. You know, we don't, we just don't blanket cancel people because whether they have a, a, you know, a Republican (laughs) in front of their name or a Democrat in front of their name, which is, I don't know. I, I, I came from a very small town back, you know, back in the day. And I can honestly, yeah, (laughs) I can honestly say growing up, I never had any idea who, what anybody's political affiliation was, what religion they went to, what, you know, I just knew them as, as the really cool people that, you know, I went to school with, you know, and I, I hope that we can get back to that someday and somehow. And I think what you're doing is the impetus to that. It really is. And, And Maurice was talking a little bit about change and the ability to change. That's how it happens is it starts, it starts true, true change in my opinion, starts face to face. There's no doubt. There is absolutely no doubt about it. And Sonia, I don't know if you saw um, or listened to our last podcast. We uh, interviewed the attorney general for the state of Utah. Of course, he's a Republican, but his, uh, his brother is a, he's a damn, it leans, leans toward the left. And it's funny because even though they have different opinions, they always come to the table and they're the closest brothers. As a matter of fact, that whole family is one of the tightest families I've ever seen. You'd never know there was any so-called political divide because there really isn't. They come to the table and have dialogue. And I, I listen to what you're saying right here and it's absolutely true. There are things that I, I lean right. <laughs> right. And yes. hearing, you, hearing you speak like this, it really does bring in elements that we start to empathize with each other. And that empathy is something that is so easy to lose when we're steeped in our own opinions. And I, I'm wondering if you've seen the same thing as you've been interviewing your guests and how they've overcome their own opinions. Well, that is such a great point. And I think, um, again, the interview that's fresh in my mind is Dr. Desai, and she brought up the point about being curious. Mm-hmm. And I think that is such an important um, sort of personality characteristic to have, not just as it pertains to world events and that what's happening locally, but all of your relationships. Let's be curious. Where does this person come from? How did they come to this opinion or perspective? And Oftentimes, you'll find it's rooted experientially uh, based on on what they've gone through. Now, my parents are a perfect example. Um, When they came here, they essentially have uh, presented themselves as hardworking. Um, One is a PhD in engineering. My mother was a physician in Lancaster, Ohio. And you will see her picture on a wall of all Caucasian men. I believe she was the only uh, minority woman that worked in that city for any number of decades. Now, if I asked her, I once identified her as a woman of color. She was deeply offended by that. And I did not understand why, but from her perspective, she said, we never saw ourselves that way. That is not the way we viewed ourselves. And, you know, I thought, okay, so that generation, they feel like um, we don't need to be designated. As, as quote unquote minorities, we will get along just fine. We have our academic credentials. And I guess what I would say is things have changed and it's okay to recognize that maybe you're not the majority in the population and, and sometimes discrimination may occur. That may not be your experience. 
in, in this country, but it certainly is for others. And so I, I think it's such a great point that you bring up. And I think, um, you know, going back to your original question, yeah, Dr. Desai brought up the point that can't we just be curious about what's happening? She also brought up the fact when she came here, um, it, we were immersed in Vietnam as a country. And she brought up the parallels between Vietnam and Afghanistan. You look at Vietnam, Vietnam has a 2000 plus year old culture. So we are, yeah, you were invading a country. There is a deep rooted history and culture. And if you don't get that, you're doomed to fail. And it's exactly what we saw in Afghanistan. Um, and so, so some of these things are quite profound. And it's a wonder that we haven't learned. It seems we haven't learned. Yeah, it, uh, you bring up something and that in my my field before all this stuff, <laughs> I was in I was in human resources related fields, and you wondered why why they couldn't have an effective culture change. And so we're talking national. Let's let's shrink it down a little bit to the stuff we see in corporations. <laughs> and to your point, that ability to be curious. It's exactly what is lacking. But the other thing is, I've actually seen leaders stifle the curiosity. No, it's my way or the highway, or it's a very biased opinion, whatever it might be. And so it's one of those shifts that uh, in order to happen, uh, change to happen has to take a look at that curiosity. It's ironic because one of the things that I used to teach was uh, based on the scientific method right? You, you make an observation, you make a hypothesis, you test that hypothesis. And I know we do that as individuals, but oftentimes we don't do that with each other. So we're left with these crazy assumptions. And I'm, it's amazing to hear some of those things that you're, you have discovered through your guest. And again, I, I'm, I'm blown away. But I do oh, have another question. So Gary, just conk me over the head. If there's something. <laughs> no, I, I, so so my, my, my mother was, she immigrated from Japan. And I know that your parents immigrated from India. I'm just wondering, what was their, what was their uh, journey like? Uh, they, they, of course, hard work, respect. That's exactly what my dad did too. And my, my mother as well. They, but they didn't take it as having to prove themselves. Just wondering what some of those those things that they went through and what it taught you um, as kids and how it impacted the way that you view the world and, and you approach everything today. Yeah, well, thank you for that question. I think it, a lot of it is um, dawning upon me at, at this point, at this stage in my life, because you look at the lack of familial support or they did come with that proverbial few dollars in their pocket, no family legacy to fall back upon, no, um, you know, uh, sort of cash <laughs> fund yes. that they could withdraw um, from. And, and I think that's very sobering, right? There's no better motivation than that. Um, so uh, while I don't know that baptism by fire, you might call it, is necessarily the best way for immigrants to start out, that is the reality that they faced when they came here. And so some of the hardships, believe it or not, were a lack of groceries. Imagine coming here 
and not being able, food is comfort, right? And it brings back nostalgic memories. Many of the groceries that we can find nowadays, like there's South Asian grocery stores everywhere, not around anywhere. So you had to kind of innovate when use some American food products, maybe to make some of the um, Indian items that you miss. My mom, I know she would cry. She'd say, we're going to go back. Let's go. We're going to go back. What's um, she was doing residency, but the homesickness was real. And let's face it. I think they were in Des Moines, Iowa, not exactly the best climate to come to coming from India, brutal winters, <laughs> right. And the change of season. Um, she had beautiful, long flowing black locks that she would wear in a braid and she would wear beautiful sadis, cut the hair, stopped wearing the sadis, right. To oh. assimilate. Yeah. And, and these are the things that we don't often think about, um, but they were considered necessary, perhaps, in the assimilation process. I know my parents did not do this, but I do know a lot of South Asians take accent um, sort of reduction classes so that you can speak, perhaps, in a tone that is less South Asian accented or Indian accented. And, and yet these are all... Um, perhaps heartfelt attempts to try to blend in. And um, I I wouldn't argue with the fact that, look, in 1963, yeah, it probably would help you if you're able to communicate in a way that um, is a little bit more familiar with people in Iowa or Ohio, or I don't know where your parents came, Reese, but, you know, these are the things that they faced. Yep, yep, yep. No doubt about that. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm kind of at a loss of not a loss of words, but in deep thought. Right, <laughs> right. You're, 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 you're instilling that really quickly because my, uh, my dad, he was, I shared this in a previous podcast. My, my dad, he was, uh, he fought for the, um, for the 442nd, which is a Japanese American wow. unit that was sent to Japan. And he did it out of a sense of duty. He didn't have to go to the internment camps, but everyone else did. And he and a number of his friends went and fought despite that because they felt a deep-rooted duty uh, to do it. Uh, and I um, uh, love the country. It was amazing. to uh, well, it, it was amazing because he passed, but it was amazing to hear his stories of the deep pride of that. And matter of fact, every time I remember when I was a scout, taking the taking the flag and I put it on the ground for a minute and goes don't you ever do that oh my goodness <laughs> to this day it's deeply rooted that pride in the country of what it what it's given us and and it was it was a generation of they gave everything they 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 did they came here understanding that it was something that wasn't a handout or anything like that as much as it, it was earned and uh, uh, it's amazing to hear what your your family went through too i mean i look at you and sanjay uh i don't know all your other siblings but uh unbelievable work ethic and and things that they've done and and i look at gary over there too <laughs> the other <laughs> one of the hardest working dudes you'll ever meet in your <laughs> life and it speaks volumes of the individual he is and it br bridges the bridges the gaps in the way matter of fact gary introduced me to my first Iranian friend and uh, he bridges the gap so well. I, I, yeah. I, sorry. Well, I, I, I have to say, I, I listening to a, even just both of your stories, I mean, I, I obviously know Maurice is a little bit better just because of our history, but the thing that stands out to me is and that I really haven't even thought about until this very moment is 
you know, with your parents and with your, your dad, Maurice, that type of thing, they came to a country that it wasn't all sunshine and roses. They were coming in at a very difficult time, even to the point, like, for example, your dad, Maurice, you know, potentially could have been put in, in an intern camp yep. or a concentration mm-hmm. camp. But yet, you know, they have such pride and excitement about the country that they're, they're coming into. I remember back in the day, I was in China one time and I was just walking around Shanghai at night one time. And I realized if I get lost, I don't even know how to ask for directions. Like I am completely, <laughs> I, I'm going to become like a missing person in Shanghai. But, you know, I, I, I just have so much respect for people that immigrate to this country and that make it happen, whatever that means. Like, I can't imagine not speaking the, the language. I can't imagine not having, like you said, those familial ties to fall back on. I can't imagine giving up all my, you know, like you said, just comfort food, even the little things in life that make a big difference, you know? And I think we're, as a country, we're kind of getting away from, from celebrating that diversity and that excitement that, that happens when we bring people in from other backgrounds. You know what I mean? And even, I don't know. Anyway, I just want to kind of leave it at that. I don't want to get too far into the weeds, but I just have so much respect for, for that. And so based on that, I want to kind of ask about you. Yes. What, what, what was your experience like growing up, having parents that were kind of first gen generation Americans? And what was it like as a, as a little kid growing up in that environment? Yeah, so it was definitely the merging of two cultures. And I realized that there were many times growing up, you know, in the 70s and 80s that I often wished, why can't I be just a blonde, blue-eyed, Caucasian girl? Life would be so much simpler. And I sort of craved the normalcy, quote unquote, what I perceived as normalcy of um, perhaps the five o'clock, six o'clock American dinner with family. Right. And um, and some of the traditions that I um, perceived to be normal, where my home was a juxtaposition of of two cultures merging together and education featured prominently in um, how my parents raised us. And so there was an experiment that was occurring here in Columbus, Ohio, whereby they would take inner city children and bus them to the suburbs, largely African-American black children coming out to the suburbs. And it was an attempt at desegregation. And so my parents saw that as a sign, whether right or wrong, that, look, we need to put them in private schools right away. And so I started um, at a private school, Columbus School for Girls, and it's an excellent school. Excellent. But what a juxtaposition. Some of the wealthiest families in the city sent their daughters there and have since the 1800s. And here I was coming out of a public school. I just never felt like I fit in. I never felt I was sophisticated enough. It was the height of the preppy um, culture. <laughs> so I didn't grow up wearing tree torns and izods, and I might have got the fake one maybe from Kmart or, um, you know, and so just never feeling like I um, had my head above water, either culturally, academically all of the above and 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 not a lot of diversity even in that school so i had two south asian female friends who were in my class and interestingly now there's a whole movement within this school by the way to examine diversity and inclusion but one of the administrators approached me and said you guys can't hang out together anymore i'm sorry what? 
And, <laughs> yes, absolutely. In uh, middle school, a, a Caucasian administrator said no. And I look back and I thought, I know why I'm doing this. I'm clinging to the two <laughs> girls that perhaps understand a little bit about what I'm going through here. Mm. And, um, and so it was really uncomfortable. And I'm so glad you brought it up because there is no doubt this podcast is me working through <laughs> some of that and feeling a sense of acceptance and really embracing like who I am finally and yeah. not being ashamed of it. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't afford certain things. And you know what? That's okay. Because guess what? We don't have a, my maiden name is Gogate. We don't have an on and Gogate the third. We, <laughs> we don't have that legacy. We just got here. <laughs> so and that's okay. That is totally okay. So yeah, no, it's still something I'm wa working through. And Sanjay, I know probably feels the same about Columbus Academy. <laughs> yeah, yep, yep. Yeah, hearing you talk about that, it was so funny because it took me back too. We it looks yes! like we were both in the seventies and eighties, <laughs> and uh, I, I, I hate to repeat some stuff that I did on the other podcasts, but it wasn't until I moved from Utah to Hawaii that I realized I'm Asian. <laughs> <laughs> no, I knew I was uh, growing up because it was something I, I I took on a different persona. Because I, you know, I wanted to be whatever it was back at the time, to your point, the preppy, the, the eyes on the polos. <laughs> but when I got to Hawaii, and first of all, I was I was told that I was pronouncing my name wrong. I was calling myself Matsumori. <laughs> <laughs> I remember the first person I introduced myself, and he goes, No, 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 it's Matsumori. That's a Japanese pronunciation. I go, what are you talking about, chump? <laughs> <laughs> but it wasn't until I went there that I realized I was pretending to be somebody for a long time. And it was, it was therapeutic, if, if else. but it was funny that it took me that long to come to realization that, that I was comfortable finally in my own skin. Uh, and literally, yes, <laughs> so hearing your, your story just takes me back. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> yes, love absolutely. it. Well, Gary, well, go well, ahead. I was gonna say, if it makes you, you guys feel any better, um, growing up as a white male, I was just confused as all the rest of you, just in different ways. <laughs> I was. <laughs> I was just as much as a, as, as a nerd and everything else. I, I we're, we're all clueless to some degree, so take take heart. Yes, <laughs> it is. It is funny, but you're 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 definitely one of those individuals, Gary, that I've seen blends in with so many people because you're so uh, open. And what, that's the one thing that always r really got me. That really bonded that friendship is you were open. I, um, Sonia, if you could have seen him in Arizona, he was friends with everybody. It was <laughs> well, well, I think you, what you were talking about before is just that curiosity. And I think yes. that's one thing that, you know, I love to see what makes people tick and why they are the way they are. Even if you're a horrible human being, I, I think there really is lessons to be learned as to why? Why? Why are you that way now? You probably weren't that way when you were in second grade. <laughs> Where did and things I can attest a... to that. <laughs> so I don't know. It, it, it's interesting. So I, I want to kind of focus on the the 
you know, as, as you kind of progressed, as you got a little bit older, what were some of those, like, they call them, you know, sliding door moments. What were some of those pivotal moments that, that made you go from kind of that, you know, kind of quiet, you know, pert- a little girl to someone that is now incredibly dynamic, putting <laughs> herself out there. Doing a podcast is not easy. No. Because you're exposing yourself, you're exposing, you know, you're talking about things that are deeply, have deep meaning for people. How, how did you get to where you are right now? What were some of those moments that were significant to you? Yeah, no, thanks for that question. I think when I got to college, one of the most um, empowering aspects of college was actually the exposure to other South Asian students and Indian students. So I took a leadership role in some of those student organizations. And there is such a deep affinity there because, and it's for the first time that um, I really felt, when I went to India too, I have to say, seeing a sea of brown people, a sea (laughs) of people from my background, ethnicity, and yet so different. I mean, I, I, I do encourage every listener, if you get a chance to ever go to a foreign country, do so. But if you get a chance to go to India, it will change your life because it's an example of, every socioeconomic group to the most impoverished you've ever seen to the most wealthy all coexisting and for the most part relatively peacefully although obviously not always the case so when i got um to college the the amazing part was to be reunited with all of these other South Asian students who perhaps had faced a lot of the things that I had. They even created their own fraternity or sorority. Um, I made the mistake of rushing a sorority. And when I say mistake, what I mean by that is there's no question that that is just in my opinion, at least back then, okay, in the 80s, that is not where a South Asian man or woman belongs for a lot of different reasons, um, the fraternity or sorority system. And it was a a mechanism to only make myself feel worse (laughs) because it was essentially, again, feeling like a fish out of water. Now, when I um, interacted with those from my background and and diaspora, it was a completely different feeling. I also watched African-American students and their inner fraternity council and sorority, same phenomenon. So that was beautiful to witness and behold. And I really hope any young people listening take advantage of that opportunity because once you get out of college, again, you are thrust into a world, whatever you decide to pursue. I pursued corporate real estate. And boy, let me tell you, (laughs) you talk about no offense, but you talk about an industry, commercial real estate, wholly dominated by Caucasian men. It was like, going back to the 50s and 60s. And it still is that way. I was the only South Asian female broker at a major firm, CBRE. And I suspect I always will be. It's just uh, uh, the nature of the industry. I do think they're trying to diversify. But it again, I was pushed to say, okay, who am I? What do I stand for? And guess what I pursued? I pursued South Asians in my community and I did really well. They are physicians. They have office leases that need to be renewed. They are small business owners. So again, I relied on my diaspora and my community um, and it worked beautifully. And, And I guess you could say, that's kind of what I'm doing now. And you're right, it does take a lot of courage. It's not easy to have a podcast and say, 
why me? But I think what you guys might be realizing too is why not? Because (laughs) that's a great point. (laughs) The only difference, yeah, the only difference between those that do and those that do not is really that bold decision to say, what can I offer? And Yeah, and because of my guests and their thought leadership, I'm, I'm pushing out content. The most beautiful aspect of this whole thing is to see the podcast charting in India, New Zealand, Norway, far-flung parts of the world. And so I think it's a message to us as yes. Americans and, and to anyone really listening, wherever you might be, that take that chance because you just never know. Somebody might be impacted by your story. Their life might be changed. And we're in a day and age where you grab inspiration where you can. Um, And and so I guess that's a long-winded way (laughs) of of (laughs) saying this is still a journey of self-empowerment for me. It really is. And um, this means so much to me that you guys invited me here. because it's almost like, okay, I guess somebody else maybe thinks what I'm doing here has some value or worth. Oh, it's awesome. It's awesome. <laughs> it really I, is. I have a quick question for you. And yeah. Just to provide me some perspective. So let's say that I am, I don't know, let's just say I'm a first generation um, immigrant from India. I, I'm, I'm little, little Gary and I'm in, uh, I'm in, I'm in school, I'm in public school, much like you did. It seems to me like there's this fine balance between assimilating into the country that you're going to versus holding on and understanding your culture and your past. If you were to talk to little Gary that just came over from India, what advice would you give me as to how do I make that balance? Like say as a, as a kid coming into a, a new country or, you know, or my parents are first generation and I'm, trying to figure out where I fit or I'm a little Maurice, you know, in Hawaii or whatever it might be. I am little. <laughs> <laughs> what, what advice would you give someone? Yeah, that is such a great question. And I, what I would say is this, instead of being overwhelmed by the differences that you see, because we're often now, I, I really believe that 24-hour news cycle and TV, it has pluses and minuses because you can't necessarily believe what you're seeing um, that's being broadcast. Sure. I believe, you know, when at, at heart, the United States and the American people are an immensely amazing, diverse and welcoming group of, of people. It makes it one of the greatest countries in the world, not the greatest country, because what I'm realizing is, guess what? Replicate that around the world. We are all connected and you're going to find amazing people in every country on this planet. And so pick and choose because don't fool yourself. Everything from India, everything from Japan, everything from China, it doesn't make sense. Some of those things are, are archaic and outdated. Every civilization is guilty of that, right? And we have the caste system in India. Not a good system in any capacity. <laughs> Not at all. And, and we still see lawsuits, by the way, here in the United States. Cisco, for example, hit with a lawsuit based on caste discrimination. So it still happens. Shed those things, shed those customs, and look for the ones that really resonate with you. And Dr. Desai brought up the point that we have e pluribus unum here in this country. And a very similar quote sits on the parliamentary hall in India, basically from one many. 
And, and so this concept, I think, is, is universal. So look to that. Don't, don't be fooled by, yes, I mean, growing up in Ohio, I'll be honest, we see Confederate flags here from time to time. We do. Mm-hmm. And those folks have their reason for waving that around. I highly doubt they understand the historical significance of it, but that's okay. Maybe they get something from that. By the same token, you will see others who uh, boldly embrace, you know, um, the United States and its ideals. And so I I guess what I would say to you is just look as an observer. And if it feels (laughs) like something that you can be aligned with, that resonates with you, hold on to that and don't listen to others. Don't listen to others. Whatever that is, um, that's special, you know, for that individual. If that makes any sense. That totally makes, makes sense. Great sense. I do have another question. And that is, I've, because of diversity and inclusion, I've seen a lot of different groups form. And it's interesting to see because of, of being in the, the Asian so-called group, one of the things that I have seen happen, and this isn't just isolated in one, one uh, company, it happens all over the place, but when people come together that are common, like Asians, for instance, there's sometimes that point of collusion that is kind of damaging. Meaning, meaning, let me clarify that. Meaning that it's, it, it gets into us against them. Does that make sense? It just- Absolutely, yeah. And so how do you make it so, it's really not an us against them proposition. It's, I mean, when you look at including and when you look at being curious, how do you prevent or how have you, maybe not prevent, but how do you dissuade that mentality that it's an us for, against them proposition uh, and to make sure that it's understanding our differences and seeing theirs and maybe coming together and seeing, hey, there's, we all bleed red. I mean, I don't care if the person is white, black, Latino, Indian, whatever. If they have type, uh, type O blood, I need it. (laughs) Exactly. Right. How do we bridge those gaps so that we're not being steeped in one group? uh, And and again, that us versus them mentality and, and bridging those commonalities. Yeah, so I think if we look at the us versus them, um, that whole concept, I, I'm, I'm a big believer in taking a look at, at the emotions that these concepts elicit. So us versus them, to me, is emanating from a fear-based perspective, because what can that them, what can the them actually do to you to cause you harm? And are you coming from a place of insecurity? Are you coming from a place whereby you have the belief that another group, another person, another individual that's different from you is a threat to you intrinsically? And I genuinely believe that there are groups that benefit from this fear, unfortunately. And you have to evaluate why. And I think there's so much opaqueness in um, social media in politics, in education. We don't know whose agenda is being served anymore. It's really a shame. And and I think that it doesn't benefit anybody at the end of the day. And we need transparency to understand whose agenda is being pushed here. But raising your children, raising the next generation, or even ourselves as adult thought leaders, 
how are we going to benefit from a fear-based mentality? That's not what our parents came to this country with, right? Mm -hmm. It was actually hopeful. It was optimistic. It was the belief in the goodness of people. And so I would say there really has to be a global outcry to say, okay, (laughs) we're all equal, whether we like it or not. You're right. You're right about the blood donation. If you're bleeding, you need a blood transfusion. You're not going to care about the race, the creed, the ethnicity, the religion of that donor. And ultimately, that's what it comes down to. And so what I'm learning with this podcast is suffering is suffering. We know, I mean, I've done many podcasts on the Uyghurs in China, and and there's many supply chains that depend heavily on that Uyghur labor. Mm -hmm. Is your Nike shoe that important? Or are we going to say to Nike, hey, it's really important where you source your your apparel and your items from. And this goes across, you know, all corporations. Um, It's not us versus them. You know, because there are people that are being affected by all of these decisions. So it's more philosophical and understand when you're being manipulated. You know, when somebody is asking you to act out of a fear based emotion versus one that feels like you're reaching across, whether it's party lines, whether it's um, difference of opinion. We know baseline as human beings. And I think it's time we all took a look in the mirror. And, and we're really honest with ourselves about that. Yes, yes. I'm taking a lot of notes. <laughs> <laughs> this is, this is like, a, this is, a, this I'm learning from a professor. This is fantastic. Oh my God. Well, look what you guys are doing. Look what we're doing. I mean, this is an incredible time in humanity, in technology that you and I are able to put our voices out there and potentially reach an audience who could then perhaps take a moment and say, wow, that's making me think differently. And, and so it's just grabbing that power and saying, I'm going to use it for the betterment of society. Um, and unfortunately, you know, in a free world, a free enterprise, there are those that do want to perpetuate that fear. So, you know, as consumers, we have to constantly ask ourselves, whether it's your politician, I know there is um, an election day coming up tomorrow and um or whether every choice you make one thing i really love to do it's so trite um but when i'm at a tim hortons or starbucks i'll usually pay for the person behind me of course if the order is like in excess of a certain dollar amount maybe i'll I'll opt not to but i love that and i've been on the receiving end of that and these are the small little hopeful things that we can kind of do to say make that person perhaps believe in in positivity and the hopefulness and i i think this country and every country in the world has has that that group of individuals that believe in a better today and tomorrow yeah i'll i'll just tag on to that one of the things that i tell my kids is quit looking at your phone and look at faces Look at, look at yes. people, look at the yes. people, look at the people around you and just talk to them. Yeah. I mean, some of the best, most exciting conversations I've ever had was just, I happened to reach out to the person next to me and say, hi, yeah. you know, there's Absolutely. so much, so much power in that, you know, there's no doubt. And I have to interject that one of the elements that I pull from my upbringing. And, and again, I think that all universal religions carry this, but in Hinduism, I mean, we definitely believe in reincarnation. So what's fascinating is, you know, this body is a costume that you're wearing, 
but some of the most evolved souls on the planet, you wouldn't know who they are. It's not necessarily going to be an Oprah Winfrey. It could be somebody that is in the depths of poverty um, somewhere in India or anywhere around the planet. And yet just the ability to learn from them. And so I agree, we, we have it all wrong in this country. It's not the type of car you're driving or how much you have in the bank account. It's like humanity and who that individual is. And you have an opportunity to learn from each and every experience and person that you come across. I, I genuinely believe that. And I do credit my Eastern roots and, and Hinduism for that perspective. I, I love that concept of a costume. I don't know why. I think yeah, that's yeah. really cool yes. because at some point you wanted to like, okay, who's behind the costume? Who's, who's, what's the real depth like behind that costume? You know, I think that's a, uh, I don't know. That's something I'm going to be thinking about for a while. Oh, no. That, and, and we, and we really, it really drives it home when you, you see your loved one being prepared for cremation, right? Because we don't believe in burial. Again, this is a costume. So dust to dust, it literally. Um, we, um, we imbibe that and it's a sober, it's a wake up call too, right? Because <laughs> it is. It how really much is. time do you have? Yes. What do you want to do in this, in this lifetime? What is it you want to accomplish? And, and what do you want? Um, for example, this podcast, I mean, what an incredible legacy. And I really credit you guys for saying, Hey, we want to, we want to get this out there and, and possibly change somebody's life. You know, it's interesting, Sonia, because uh, and I always say it's, this is interesting, but when we were when we were uh, talking about 9/11, this is a, about a month ago, a month ago, uh, two months ago now, uh, you brought up something that struck me because almost with exactness, you you highlighted the things that were most important, almost verbatim, of the way I wrote them down, and it had to do with humanity, and it had to do with what we do with this time, and I can't thank you enough. That was fabulous. Uh, uh, <laughs> wow. Wow. Well, yeah. thank you. Thank you. you. Got it. Well, I we want to thank you for your time too. This has been well, Karch, I don't know about you, man, but for me it's been a wow moment. <laughs> yeah. well, like like I said, this podcast for me, I always tell Maurice, I just I gotta get my fix. And you just <laughs> gave me a massive fix today. I really appreciate your time. It's so good to get to, to talk to you and get to know you a little bit. Oh, uh, well, it, you know, right back to both of you. It's such an <laughs> honor to be here, truly. And and like I said, I intend to have you as guests on my podcast, if you'll do me the honor um, of, of accepting that invitation. And yeah, let's just go forth from here and, and create the change that we want to see in the world, as Gandhi stated. We would love, we'd love to be on your podcast. That'd be an honor for yes. us. Oh, amazing. Wow. Well, thank you guys so much. You you got it. Hey, you take care, Sonia. And when you see Sanjay, punch him in the arm for me. <laughs> <laughs> I will definitely do that. Thank you guys. All right. We'll see you. Okay. Bye.